All right. Good morning, Celebration Church. How's everybody doing today? Who is going to have the best car at Trunk or Treat? Roger Michelle. Okay. <laughs> I'm super excited for Trunk or Treat. I don't even know if we've decided on what car we're doing yet, but the ideas are... Oh, we have. We know what we're doing. See? It's going to be awesome. Um, if you haven't signed up for Trunk or Treat yet, sign up. It's going to be so much fun. And we've done this, I think this will be our fourth year doing Trunk or Treat, and every year it's gotten bigger. Um, there's more kids coming, more parents coming. We put an ad on Facebook, and there's people I don't even know that are now replying to the ads saying that they're going to come and inviting their friends. So I'm, I'm looking so much forward to, to having a lot of fun and different people here on campus. And, um, and ultimately, you know, my prayer is that every time someone steps foot on campus here, even for something like Trunk or Treat, that they feel something bigger. They feel something more, that they're pointed to Christ and that they join us here at a, on a Sunday morning or they see small groups and join a small group. Just something happens where, where God tugs on their heart to know this is more than just a place to get candy and have fun. But there's something bigger here that's offered, and that's a relationship with Jesus. So pray for that as we get ready for Trunk or Treat as well. Um, before I dive into the message today, there's a couple things I want to address. Um, I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know all the details about what's going on overseas and in Israel. Um, I, I don't follow the politics of overseas, and just politics in general, tons. I'm, I, I'm up to date on a lot of things, but I don't know all the details, and I'm not going to come up here and say, this is exactly what's happening, this is why they're getting attacked. I, I don't know. But, but what I do know is that a nation was invaded, that, that Israel was attacked, and that lives are being lost. Um, Israel lives are being lost. American lives have been lost. Um, this, trying to decipher what's real and what's not, but there's reports of people going door to door and doing horrible things and executions. And I, I, what I know is that it's horrible. And so what I want to do today as a church is I want to lift up the nation of Israel. I want to pray for safety. I want to pray for protection. Um, I, I want to pray that, that there's peace ultimately, that they're able to come to an understanding with whatever's going on. Like I said, I don't know the details, but I do know that there needs to be peace. And we're going to pray for justice and that God's hand is over that nation. I know that in Scripture, God uses Israel in mighty, mighty ways, lots, for good and bad things. There's lots that happens there. And I think um, we can do our part in praying that God's will be done over in Israel and that people are protected. I mean, ultimately... Like I said, I don't, I don't know, but I do know that kids are losing their dads, moms are losing their kids, there's a lot of bad things happening. So can we for a minute just lift up the nation of Israel together and pray for peace over on the other side of the world? Uh, God, I know that war is horrible, um, the loss of life is horrible, and right now you know all things and your hand is overseas and holds everything, God, and I pray, we pray for peace for Israel, God. We pray for protection for families. We pray for, for protection for the nation that, that invasion is, is put out, that, that nations come to a, a justice and peace, God, and that, that lives are saved and not taken. God, we pray ultimately that your sovereign hand directs what's going on. Give wisdom to the leaders involved, God. Give them your guidance as they make decisions on how to protect their people. And God, ultimately, we pray for safety for all the, the men, women, and children over in those nations. So God, let your will be done, let your glory be seen, and please uh, bring an end to this conflict soon. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for praying for that with me. Um, the next thing we, we have coming up before we dive in, we have small groups coming up. Now, um, I, I talk about small groups a lot because I love small groups. And I, I love the, the offerings that we have. I love what they mean to a church and a community. And we actually have, launching today, small group signups. So... In the back of the sound booth, there's a little lip, like not at where Donald's sitting, but right to the right from my side of where Donald is sitting. There's a whole lot of these small group books, and there's a lot of these as well at the coffee bar. 
But if you open up and grab one of these booklets when you go out there, you can look and see why do we do small groups. You can see all the different groups that are being offered. I believe we have eight different small groups being offered this cycle. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And they, they cover a wide range of things. We have um, some groups that are going through a book together. We have some groups that are going through Bible, Bible verses and scripture together. We have another group that's going through the actual sermon. So you can pick apart every single word I say and analyze it as a group. Whether that's good or bad, I'll leave it up to you guys, but you get to do it. We have a group that's going to have uh, dinner at a different restaurant once a month and spend time in fellowship together. So there's, there's a whole variety of different groups and what they're doing. So I will encourage you guys, grab one of these books, look at them. The instructions on how to sign up are in the book, or you can go to the church website, ccpwallop.com. Click on connect and then small groups, or just wait for the small group picture to slide through on the little slideshow that happens. You can click on that, and that's how you can sign up. But... Something I want to say about small groups is it's really easy, I think, to, to look at these and go, well, my life is busy, my schedule's busy, I look at this, and all I see is another thing to add to my schedule. That, that's a really easy thing to, to say when it comes to small groups, and you could say, I just don't have time, but, but I, I would like to argue the, the opposite of that. I believe that we're talking about being all in and what it means to be all in in this walk with Jesus. And I think part of that really is making time for fellowship and community with one another outside of a Sunday morning. It does so much for us. And not just us as a church, but for us as individuals, it helps grow your relationship with others. And ultimately, I do believe a small group really helps spur you on and grow your relationship with Jesus. I think they're a big deal, and I would argue we don't, <laughs> you, can't, you can't say, I'm too busy for small groups. I would say, man, you're not, there's, small groups should be a part, and then life comes around those. Church, family, small groups, let this be a part of what drives you to connect in community. It's a vital part of it. Um, and a lot of them go for an hour and a half, maybe two hours, longer if you like to chit-chat and hang out, and groups have their own start time and end time, and I know that so much life happens there. I think it's an important thing to fill our week on, to, to spur another, one another with, and to be inspired by the word of God as we do it. Small groups enhance us in so many ways. Um, I know that a lot of small groups often share food together. And who doesn't like going and getting food, right? I mean, I, I love going somewhere and getting food. One of our small groups is. That's what they're doing. They are going to get food every month. It's going to be awesome, right? And I know that when you connect with a small group, you get the opportunity to really share what's happening in your life. And... Have you ever struggled with something on your own and then wished, seriously, like, I wish there was someone that could really come alongside me and help me with this? Over the years in my life, small groups have been the group for me where I get to really open up. And I really say, here are my struggles. Here's what's happening in life. And that group rallies around me and prays for me. Um, true story, there was a small group that my wife and I were a part of over 15 years ago is when it started, but right before we got married, the first church I was working at, we joined a, a small group. I'm still connected with some of those people. And they still, every now and then, we'll, we'll text each other on life happenings and what's going on, and, and we'll pray for each other. And that was 15 years ago, and we live states away, and there's still a relationship there because of the bond that started in a small group. They are important, and they're vital. And in turn, not only have small groups helped me, but I've been able to help other people in my group. Someone says they're struggling. We're able to rally around and, and come around that person and lift them up and help. So small groups, I, I, can't, I can't say enough how important small groups are. And I, I'm going to throw a number out there. And you can call me crazy or whatever you want, but I believe this. I think it would be amazing, and it's my dream to have 100% of the people in this church involved in some small group some way. 
whether it's a Zoom group, an in-person group, but have everyone here say we are signed up and involved, that would be amazing. And then you get to see life happen and grow and build. So don't let this opportunity pass you. Join a small group. We're looking to start, they will start in two weeks. We have a couple weeks to, to browse through the catalogs, order a book, and, and get connected and, and sign up online. And it's going to be great, and it is absolutely worth it. All right, there goes my sales pitch. Now, we're coming to the end of our series, the end of our all-in series. And we've been taking this a command from Jesus in Matthew 16 and, and kind of picking it apart and going over what does it really mean to say, I am all in on this walk. I am all in on giving my life to him. Not just to the point where I'm saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll serve you a little bit, but saying my life is going to be one that serves you. I'm giving you all I am, everything I have, it's all for you. And, and I hope that you've, you've learned a lot from this, and I know that I have, and I hope you've got some truth and encouragement from it. So, so let's pray this morning as we dive back into Matthew 16 and finish our series on being all in. Uh, God, you are good. I thank you that you've gone all in on us, and I thank you that we have your word um, to, to dive into and, and your spirit in our lives, God. And I pray that as we, as we unpack some more today, we, we really understand what it means, again, to go all in on you and give you everything we have as much as we can, God. So, so be with us. Uh, we welcome you here today. God, I pray that we all leave here changed because we had an encounter with you and we ask this in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or if you're online, maybe you can open a separate tab and go to the uh, Bible, BibleGateway.com. But Matthew 16, 24 has been our, our verse for this series. And Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And we spent the last few weeks going over what does that look like? What does denying yourself look like? What does taking up your cross look like? And then what does it mean to follow me? And I think we have one more step now. We do those three things, and there's one more thing that we have to do now that we're doing all of those if we want to be all in on this walk with Jesus. The, the command to follow Jesus doesn't mean much if we only understand a part of it, if we don't see everything he's saying here, right? And I believe that, that God has, has invited us into his family so that he may send us into the world to invite other people into his family. Kind of follow that, that loop I did right there? He invites us to go out and invite others to be a part of this as well. Now, there, there's a common misconception that people will say, all right, if I want to invite someone to this walk with Jesus, what do I have to do? I've got to be a children's pastor. I've got to be a youth pastor. I've got to be an evangelist. I've got to be a lead pastor. I've got to work at church to really invite someone into this walk with Jesus. I just want to say now that is not the case. That, that, that is not the case. If that was the case, we would have a whole world full of pastors, and, um, and that, that could be cool in some ways, and it could be overloaded in some others, right? But, but I believe God has us in the world in our jobs for a reason. He has given us all a call to do what we're doing, but part of that call, I believe, is to invite other people into his family. But I want to shoot down the thought that only pastors and church staff are the ones that it's their job to reach people. Kim's us there. It is not only the church pastors and staff, it is not only their job to reach people, it is all of our job to reach people. If you believe in Jesus, it is your job to reach people. It's your job to tell others. That's, that's across the board. If you believe in Jesus, you have another job. In addition to your profession, tell others about him. It's not just mine, not just the staff, not just the, the ones on TV, not just the missionaries. Everyone who says Jesus is Lord, you've got another job. Jesus gives us this job. And it's my hope today to show us all that 
that each follower that Jesus has called to follow him, we have to live on mission. We have a mission, and we're all on this mission together, right? We have a mission, an important one, and you don't have to be employed by the church to do it. You have everything you need, and God has, wherever you are right now, you are ready to go. He has equipped you, and he has called you to do it. And if you're ready to discover this, here we go. Now, the, the church term for this is the commission. If you've been in church for a long time, you've heard the phrase, the great commission. And Jesus gives this out. But before we dive into what it means to be given, a, what the great commission is, let's talk about what it, what it is even to be given a commission. And if you work in retail, you may say, I get a commission. This is not that commission. Very, very different commission. We've been there. I remember when Stephanie was at Nordstrom, a lot of everything relied on commission. But, but we've been given a commission. And, and the Great Commission is a term used by Christians to refer to Jesus' instructions to the disciples to spread the gospel to all nations. Said, so this is your instruction, go spread it to all the nations. And it's found in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, when Jesus gives this mission to go out, to spread the word, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. He says to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and obey everything he's commanded. That is the great commission. So what does it mean for us now? What it means for us is that being given a commission typically means that you are being authorized or assigned to perform a specific task in service for someone else. You've been, you've been authorized to perform a specific task or service for someone else. So Jesus gives this commission, right? Go out, tell all the world about me, and now understand what does this mean? You've been authorized by Jesus to go do this. Jesus has given you his seal of approval. Go, go tell people. That's a big calling. It is a big job. <clears throat> With those things in mind, we understand that Jesus now has called us to do this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And what, is that? what does that mean? It means you're now living this mission that he has called you to live. Now, living on mission means a lot of things, not the least of which means that there will be people you will encounter that are going to make this really hard. You're going to encounter people that are going to make this really, really hard. Understand this. When I, when I give points, you guys probably know by now, I, I don't mean to be a downer, but, but typically the first couple points can be a little down, but trust me, it gets better in the end. So, so don't, don't scratch out or, or tune out now. But understand this. When you live this commission, when, when you say, I'm going to go and I'm going to share people, I'm going to share with people about Jesus, you know what's going to happen? You will encounter hardship. Shocker, right? I know. You will encounter hardship. It's going to happen. This is not a maybe things will get hard. This is like the guarantee. Things are going to be hard. You will encounter hardship. You will encounter people. There's a phrase sometimes we say, people are going to people, man. Sometimes people are hard. Sometimes people are mean. You're going to encounter a hardship with people in life. Maybe not just people, but life will be hard. I remember one day when I was working at... Um, a church in California, I had my comfy office, I had my car, I had my amazing fiance at the time, we weren't married yet, but life was good. Life is comfortable. Things, things were rolling, I was serving God, living life, planning a wedding. It was just like, I was already like, felt like I was living emotionally in the honeymoon phase. I, I was so excited for what was happening in life. Um, now, for reasons I won't get into, one of my best friends who was a groomsman at my wedding got arrested. Now, I mean, 
for, I won't go into all of things. He was ultimately found not guilty and was released later. But it was like, okay, now we got, now we got to deal with why would you be in this situation and you got arrested. And so I got a phone call from his lawyer saying, will you come be a character witness at his um, first part of his arraignment process so we can talk about what's going on? And I was like, absolutely, I'll be there. I, I, I love this guy. So get all my nice clothes on. And, you know, well, they weren't super nice clothes, but it's what I had. I looked nice. And get in my car. It's about a 35-minute drive to the courthouse. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm going. Five minutes in this drive, car accident. I'm not even that far from the church, but I get on the freeway. I get clipped. I spin going 65. Oh, my kidding. We're in California. We're going like 70 miles an hour at least. But I spin, and I hit the concrete barrier dividing the, the traffic lanes. I hit it so fast that the car, po- I, was, I was airborne, car popped up, and when I landed, I was perpendicular to the oncoming traffic, and uh, people asked me, you know, what were you thinking at that moment? I was thinking, ah, you know, because I was screaming, right? I end up getting the car off to the side of the road, and I get out of the car, and it was a disaster, a miracle that I got out of the car. I get out of the car, and I remember standing there, not even looking at the car, but I get out, and I'm just kind of trying to catch my bearings, like, what just happened? The other car involved fled the scene. They were gone. And so I get out of the car, and a CHP officer pulls around, and he's like, he's like sir, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm okay. He goes, that's crazy. How did you get out of the car? I said, I got out. I just opened the door. He said, how did you get out of your car? Then I look and see the car, and the whole front end was smashed in. Door was crashed. Steering wheel almost to where the seat was. And I was like, I walked out of the car. I knew God had got me out of that car. There was no getting back in the car at that point. But it was a crazy instance in my life where things suddenly changed. The door was inoperable. I was lucky to be alive. And not only was I lucky to be alive, it was a miracle I walked out with not a bruise or scratch or ache on my body. It was a miracle. Now, having said that, I missed the court date. I wasn't able to make it to court that day. So that, that caused a whole bunch of other issues that made it hard for my friend to go through his process because I was a key character witness because, I mean, another part about his life, he was uh, one of my best friends. He was a part of the, um, the foster system, and he actually lived with my family for many, many years. So I was one of the best witnesses they had, and I missed that part of the trial. Now, because of that, he ended up missing the wedding. And then on top of all of that, I had to find a new car, which led to an insane insurance battle even. We love insurance battles, right? Because I was the only car on the scene and the police officer didn't see the other guy, he just saw me. Then it turned into, well, was it really another car's fault? And that was a whole other battle I had to go through, which ultimately everything worked out, but it was hard. And it was, it, was not a, it was not a, this is changing my life for the rest of my life hardship, but in that moment when everything was so good, it was suddenly a hard moment in my life. There are lots of stories that totally trump this one about hardships in life. But I know that in our life, when we decide, I'm going to go on, I will follow Jesus, I'm going to do this, you will hit a hardship. Everything could be feeling good. You may be telling people about Jesus, and you're like, hey, I told this person, they said yes. I told this person, they said yes. I'm doing good. And then I told this person, and suddenly I feel like they're out to ruin my life. We will experience hardships. In our walk with Jesus being sent out by him, you will encounter we talked about this uh, in the second week of our series and talked about taking up your cross and following him. He promises it'll be a tough road. It will be a tough road. You'll encounter people who don't want to do things the way that God says. And they say that what you're offering doesn't make sense and they'll reject it and they'll make things hard. 
This is also the case for those of us who have accepted the call to use those gifts to serve God. I was at a, a pastor's retreat the past couple days, hanging out with a lot of pastors. And um, some of you know Pastor Kelly, who speaks here every now and then and used to work here. I got to hang out with him for a day and a half. And we got to hear this word about Elijah. And it was awesome talking about, here's a guy who was all in for God. This guy called down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal were there, and Elijah was saying, I'm, I serve the one true God. You guys serve a God that doesn't exist. They literally called down fire from heaven to prove God existed. King Ahab, who was one of the, the, the king at the time, who was encouraging the prophets of Baal, he even in the moment acknowledged that God was God. The prophets of Baal were executed for what they were doing. You would think Elijah would be flying high right now, right? I just proved God is God. Now it's time for revival. Ahab goes back and tells his wife Jezebel what happened. Jezebel says, we are going to kill you, Elijah. And what does Elijah do? Runs, hides, and complains. Because what happened was he was given his life to telling people about the one true God, and he hit a hardship. Didn't work out the way he wanted. He thought it was going to be revival. He thought, I'm all in. We just proved God is here. The world will now change because God has been proved that he is God. Instead, a woman in the Bible named Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And he said, God, what is happening? And he went and he hid. Now, God pulls him out of that. And it's a great story in, in 1 Kings to keep reading. But all that to say, Elijah, who was proven God was God, hit hardship. We will hit hardship. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10 verses 16 to 18. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And Jesus says he is sending us out as sheep to the wolves. You know what happens when a little sheep meets the hungry wolf? usually doesn't end well for that sheep. Jesus is preparing his disciples for this. It's dinner time at those moments, right? The sheep don't stand a chance. They have no hope. Does this mean that we are going to get devoured? That Jesus says, go out because the world is going to devour you and you will get devoured? No, because he promises that he's not sending us out by ourselves. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the lion of Judah. He's not just sending out a sheep by itself. He's sending it out with the best protector ever. But he sends us out. He uses that imagery so we know what's out there waiting for us. But we also know that nothing can stand against the power of God. Nothing can stand against what he's called you to do. But the world is ready. People don't like a message that challenges their current lifestyle, right? If you go say something that's counterculture and you tell someone they're wrong, no one likes being told they're wrong. Guys, youth, do you like it when your parents tell you you're wrong? No, thank you, Aurora, for being honest. Yes, yeah, right? I know you, got, you don't like it when, when parents tell you you're wrong. And parents, our kids never tell us we're wrong, right? Never. No, we, we say something and immediately our kids go, you're right, I'm wrong. That's how it's supposed to be, right? It doesn't happen that way. But when we tell each other something's wrong, when, when someone comes and says something counter to what you are doing or how you are living, you're immediately most likely met with resistance, you're met with that defensive wall. Being told no is not something anybody enjoys. You don't like your norm. You don't like your norm to be challenged. Or what the world says is right and moral, if you go against that, you're asking for ridicule. You're asking for people to label you something you don't want to be labeled and come against you. Or in today's world, cancel you. 
You're looking for people to come against you in those ways. Jesus takes the statement a step further and tells the disciples at the time what's going to happen to him. He says, you're going to be whipped. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be taken to the synagogues and beaten. This will happen. But here's the catch. You're going to offer them something incredible. Hardship will happen, but what you're offering is worth the hardship. What you're offering is the best possible thing ever. You're going to offer something different. You're going to challenge this culture's way of life. You're going to speak out against what they're doing and present the love of Jesus. Because of this, it'll be hard. But the payoff, what you're offering people, the eternal salvation that they have, the eternal salvation you have, is worth the hardship. It's the best message you could possibly spend, the best thing ever, and you need to look for every opportunity to share it. That is what Jesus called them to do. How often is this in the forefront of our minds? How often are we thinking that, right? How often are we thinking, you know what? Am I actively looking for an opportunity to share with Jesus today or share someone about Jesus today? How many of our prayers start like that? Like, God, give me an opportunity today just through natural conversation to say, hey, this is who I love. This is Jesus Christ. How do we have that opportunity? Are we looking for it? And this doesn't always have to happen. You don't have to say, God, give me an opportunity, and then go grab a big sign and stand on the street corner and, and be like the puppy land guy on Meridian. Yeah, we all know him, right? You don't have to be doing that to tell someone about Jesus. But I believe we all have an opportunity, an incredible opportunity to say, God, today, how can I do it? What opportunity do I have today, today to share someone, to share you with someone? And maybe it'll look in, a, look in a way that you've never thought of it before. Maybe it'll look like investing in a personal relationship, just getting to know someone better. You already have this relationship, but just dive in a little deeper. Maybe because you're diving in deeper, the opportunity will come to share the gospel. Maybe they've never heard it before. Maybe they have, but they've never heard it preached out of, way of, out of love and not anger. Don't think for a second it won't be difficult. But that's why Jesus says when we're sent out, as the sheep to the wolves, we're not by ourselves. Know that when we live this commission, when we live this mission out, we have an advocate. You have an advocate who is with you every step of the way, is fighting for you. He paved the way for you to do it. There, there's a, a well-known verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that I, I want to share this with you. Because we've talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit throughout the series, and, and here's the initial call Jesus gives to all those who are going to follow him. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We like power, right? Jesus promises the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It will be with you. It will fuel you. It will move through you as you do this. And we're going to be sent out. It's coming on you, and it'll be there as you go. You see, it's hard to be sent out alone. And in fact, I would argue that if you decide to do any of this without Jesus, you're going to be wasting a lot of time. It's going to be really, really hard, and it's not going to be nearly as effective as, as opposed to you saying, Jesus, I want your Holy Spirit to motivate this. I want your Holy Spirit to move through me as I go through this. You see, Right when Jesus made this statement to his disciples, he was getting ready to go back into heaven. He was right there. He had been crucified. He had been resurrected. He was getting ready to go into heaven. And there was a little bit of fear amongst his disciples. They were wondering, well, we've been doing this with you for a few years now, right? You've been standing with us. You've been walking with us. You've been doing the work, and we've been learning how to do this with you. And now you're about to go. You're about to leave. So how do we do this? And God says, I may not be physically walking with you, but I'm going to send the advocate with you, and it will be with you the whole time. 
Jesus promises you are not alone. His spirit lives in you when you decide to, fo- when you decide to follow him. And as we talked about earlier in this series, we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Namely, that the Holy Spirit will convict us of things. He will rebuke things going on inside our hearts and minds so that God can lead us down this amazing path he has laid out for us. He helps us deal with a lot of things, right? The role of the Spirit also includes a calling to go beyond our comfort zone, though. I think if we, if we want to do this, you want to go out and share with someone, you know what you're ultimately saying you're going to leave? The comfort zone. It's going to be uncomfortable. John 14, 26, the King James Version says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring, you all thing, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. So we, we have a comforter in us, right? We have the ability and power to get out of our comfort zone because in those moments, the comforter is with you. He is able to, to, to give you the, and the, the energy and the, the courage to step out of something. And, and I tell you, if, if you're living life comfy, I guarantee you God's got some big things planned for you that you've got to step into. It's going to be uncomfortable. But in our uncomfort and our, or our discomfort, I think that's where God really works and grows. He grows us, and, he, and because of that, the ability to grow his kingdom as well. He already has given you and he will give you what you need to do the work of the kingdom here on earth but we've got to be able to move our feet. We've got to be able to take that step and say, you know what, I'm all in, I'm going to live this commission, and it starts with you taking that step. If you were to walk outside right now and go to, go to your car and just said, all right, and start pushing your car right now, what, what would probably happen? The car probably would not move, all right? <laughs> You're not that strong. But if you went out to your car right now and just walked up to it and said, I'm going to push this thing, you'd have a really hard time moving it. Especially if you have it, you know, in park and the e-brake on, that thing's not really going to be going anywhere, right? It's going to be really, really hard to move. But once you get in, you get in the car, you put in your key, you put it, you start that car, you put it in drive, you release the brake, what happens? You can then move your car. Now, students, if you ever have a manual transmission, there's a little bit more involved in that. But you can move the car. It starts to go somewhere. You see... When we want God to direct our steps, we can't be like a parked car. We can't say, well, here I am, God, so just move me. We've got to say, all right, God, I'm going to start taking some steps. I'm going to start taking some steps and then watch God guide your steps. Watch God move in those steps. Watch God start saying, good, you're moving. Let me direct you now. Now now that that you're at this place where you've decided you are going to do something, watch what God will do with your actions. Watch how he'll motivate you and move you and start working in this. But the key there is start moving. Start doing it. Start going. Tell, tell God, say, God, I don't know exactly where you want me to go, but I'm going to go. In that story with Elijah, after, after God sends, God talks to him in the cave, he says, you know, well, the great thing about this is Elijah is really cranky. And the first thing that happens is he wakes up and God sends an angel to talk to him. And the angel says, Elijah, hey, there's bread. Go eat. And then Elijah takes a nap. Man, if, if, you're, if you want to know where to start, eat some food, take a nap, refuel yourself, right? Elijah does it again. And then God says, it's time to go. You know where God tells Elijah to go? It doesn't. It just says, go. So Elijah starts to go. And for 40 days, Elijah is working and moving, and then he finally gets to where he's supposed to go. When in all reality, that journey probably only took four or five days if he were to go from point A to point B, but he didn't know where he was supposed to go. He was just moving until God said, all right, now that you're moving, now that you're working, now that you're, you've got everything flowing, we're going to go here. 
The key was he was moving when God told him to move, and then he let God direct him where to go. For us, take that step. Even if you don't know where it is yet, at least take, take a step, say, God, I'm open, I'm ready, and then let him guide you. Let him move you. Let him direct you. Release your parking brake. Put yourself in drive. Start moving, and then let God start steering. Don't sit back and don't do nothing. Move. And I think this is the case for a lot of us. Some of us, I think we've been seated for so long. We've been expecting God to say, all right, I'm just going to wait until God gives me a big revelation when I think God is saying, I'll give you that revelation when, I'm, when I know that you're ready to start doing something with it. We have to make that step and move. He doesn't just give us a mission, though. He gave us a co-mission, something where he said, I'm not just going to send you. I am with you. He gave us the co-mission. He's committed to doing this thing with us the whole time. Proverbs 16.9 says this, In their hearts, human plan the course, but the Lord establishes their steps. I love that. We means we, we have the plans, right? We can say, all right, I've got this. I, I think I know what I'm going to do. Even if you don't, you're kind of putting something together on a direction you're going to go, and then God establishes the steps. He says, now that you're moving, I'll move you. God has no problem making plans for us. He's got plans for us but we've got to be ready for him to direct those steps as we begin to pursue those plans. And as we do, I believe we'll encounter people along the way, along the way who the Holy Spirit desires, talk to that person. Here's an opportunity. Build a relationship with this person. This is going to be something big. This person, I, I want you to start sharing your story with them. I think these opportunities will come naturally the more we trust God to guide our steps and we say, I'm willing to go all in. I'm willing to live this mission out that you've called me to. And then when our words come, and our actions come. And I think that's where I want us all to land today. As we do this, know that when you encounter people, it all comes down to love. It all comes down to love. There are so many statements Jesus made about love and the love of God and, and his love for people. And we're, we're not going to go through and try and rank them all today. But I want to share a very powerful one with you that, um, that I know many of you have heard before. Maybe you haven't, but, but this is a big one. You see, Jesus in John 13 has washed his disciples' feet. An act of humility, an act of servitude for his disciples to follow as they're sent into the world. And Jesus makes this uh, statement to his disciples after his betrayer Judas has left the room. John 13, 35, he says this, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. You will know, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It, it's interesting to me that, that Jesus, that this teacher himself, did not expect his disciples to be great communicators. He, he, how easy it would have been for him to say that he would be preaching the gospel and, and he would preach it in a way that it would prove who they were and, um, and they would just be able to go out and say things and everyone would follow right away, right? It doesn't say that. It says there was action to be taken. They had to show people that they loved them, and that would prove the point. It's beyond words. If we're just going to go shout the Bible at people, that's not going to be enough. Our actions, the showing that we love them the way Jesus loves them, that drives the point in. It's all about love. You see, my, my goal is, is not for us to leave angry at the culture of the world around us. And I don't, don't think, all right, it's going to be hard because, man, the world stinks. And gosh, it just gets me so angry thinking about all this stuff. It's easy to get angry thinking about the world. It's so easy to get angry when you hear a new political movement happening that you really disagree with, but it's passing through and it's going to become a law. It's, it's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to look at what's happening in Israel even and say, I am so angry at the world right now. It's easy to be fueled with anger. The world is promoting and doing and, and saying it's okay to live with so many things that are 100% anti what scripture teaches. 
But my goal is not for us to leave angry. My goal instead is to leave for us to leave heartbroken because of the world. Scripture says, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours. I want to be, I want to be fueled by compassion to see things change, not anger. Because if our hearts are broken for the things that break God's heart, they're going to be postured in a way to now serve. They're going to be postured in a way to love. A broken heart, I, I believe this, a broken heart serves and loves so much better than a bitter heart. A broken heart serves and loves so much better than a bitter heart. I know that if I do something begrudgingly, have you ever done that for someone? I know we've probably all done it at some point. Someone says, can you do this? And you're like, I'll do it, but why didn't you do it yourself, lazy, whatever. And you're, you're doing whatever it is, and you're just, you're angry. That doesn't usually build your friendship very often with this person or for whatever task you're doing. But if you see someone who genuinely needs something and they ask for help and you help because you're coming out of a place of compassion, that builds the relationship. Let your heart break for what breaks God's. Approach people, even people that make you angry, people that, that are counter to what you believe. Approach them out of a place of love. It works so much better than approaching it the opposite way. I know that over the years, different preaching styles or methods um, have been prominent. And they're, they're for, for a while, and there's still people that do this, but there, there are turn or burn preachers, right? A lot of you may know what I mean when I say it. They, they have the signs that say, you know, go to Jesus or go to hell. Um, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to burn. You better be right. And there's fire everywhere. And, and you know, that's, it, on one hand, you're like, okay, well, that's, that's true. You know, if you don't know Jesus, that's the alternative. But then you look, is that effective? Is that showing someone you love them? Or is that showing someone, a God who's ticked off at them? I believe God comes at us out of a place of love. And that's how we need to share this message with people. Even if it's not our words, let your actions speak it. Be the hands and feet of Jesus with people. Show the love that he shed on the cross. Show the love that he poured out from his very being. That's the love he wants us to share with people. And that is part of this commission. Love people. The reality Jesus wants to see, people loving people. That will be what draws people to Jesus. Jesus was, had people following him because he showed so much compassion in a time where the government was not showing compassion. He showed them a better way, a better way of love. It wasn't something crazy, fancy, or flashy. It was simply loving people. The book of Acts gives us a model for this. In Acts 4.32, it says this, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. The earliest disciples and apostles knew what this meant. They knew it. They looked past the minor issues and decided, we're going to focus on the big thing, the big stuff, making sure we're caring for each other. And that built their community. That attracted other people to their community. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just what they were saying. It's how they were actively living and serving each other. When we want to follow Jesus and we want to see the world know him, they'll know him by how you present him. How are you presenting him? How is your life presenting him? Let it be a life of love. And know that, that, man, God has called us to be new creations. He's called us to be new people. He's given us what we need, and he wants us to love people because, man, he loves people. He is all in, and we get to be all in on his creation. So the question is, what if you accepted the commission, you accepted the potential cost, you knew it was going to be hard, and you said, I'm going to do it anyways? We decide to work together as a unified force for the gospel. Man, when, when we as a church go and love our community, our community is going to learn the love of Jesus in a way that's undeniable because they would just say, man, those people love us. And we get in turn to say, it's because we love God. I'd like to invite the worship team up as we come to a close this morning. Now, Jesus invited us to be a big part of his story. 
a big part of the story for, for the world, right? He's made a way for us to actively participate in, in spreading the gospel, praying for the sick, seeing the hurting, laying hands on people, praying for people in, in times of need, and know that people have been redeemed by grace, and there's a truth that it's love and it comes with it. He's given us a guide and a comforter, the Holy Spirit to be with us the whole way, and we've got this amazing commission that we can live out. All that to say, we have all we need to succeed in this journey. We have everything we need. God's given it to us, and we can now go out and answer the call. So my question for all everyone here is, will you join me in that today? Join me in saying, you know what? This, this life of Jesus is not just for me. This is for our neighbors. It's for our schools. It's for the people attacking Israel. It's for everyone. This love of Jesus is for the world. Let's go all in and say, I'm going to share it. I'm going to go out. God, give me an opportunity today for, to, to talk to someone about you, to start a relationship that turns into one that points to you. God, he's given us all we need. Let's go all in for Jesus in our homes, in our church, in our community. Let's give it our very best. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's go out today. Make today a launching pad for you just to go talk to someone about Jesus. If I had them over to, to watch a game, maybe you're recording the Seahawks game or the Niners game. Maybe there's another one of you out there somewhere. Watch the game. Invite someone over. Have fun. Fellowship. Just spark a relationship. Build on a relationship you already have. And let that point to Jesus. Let's live this commission. Know it's going to be hard, but know more than anything, it's worth it. God, I thank you for, for going all in on us. And I pray for all of us, God, that, that what we have here does not stop here. God, I pray that what we have here goes out into the world. God, I pray that, that your love pours out of this place. It pours out of each and every person here that we go and live this commission for you, God. We invite people to a relationship with you, that your love is seen more than anything else, and that your kingdom grows because we are living the mission you've called us to. So God, we thank you, we love you, and I pray you give us encouragement, strength, and energy, and excitement to go share who you are. And everybody said, amen.